welcome back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Welcome back to Brackets, Bubbles, and Bid Stealers. Episode 26 of Season 4. We're back. It's been a while. It's been about three weeks. Sam Fetterman is here. Jonathan Lidskin is there. And Jaden Daly is joining us because there was a big, big result in Newark tonight. Jaden was in the building as Seton Hall obliterated St. John's with Rick Pitino sitting out the game due to COVID. Jaden, what was it like in that building tonight? Well, Sam Seton Hall got to jump on St. John's from the start, a 13-2 run. The Red Storm battled back late in the first half to tie the game, but then a 28-0 run bridging the end of the first half with the first four and a half minutes of the second really slammed the door on this game being anything close to a barn burner. Seton Hall had a 20-point lead for the majority of the second half before St. John's made it close to 15-point final, 80-65 to the final scoring. No way resembling what the game led on. It was a pirate domination from the jump. 21 offensive rebounds for Shaheen Holloway's squad. Elijah Hutchings Everett had his breakthrough game. Dylan Adewusu with 16 points and 10 rebounds against his former team for the first time. He said it was just another game, but it was a major statement for a Seton Hall team that's now in sole possession of first place in the Big East at 6-1. For now, for now. Um, we'll have UConn plays Creighton tomorrow. Yeah, UConn plays Creighton tomorrow. We'll have Chris Tadinga from um, Road to the Garden joining us to talk about that one after that happens tomorrow night. So uh, thanks for giving me a chance to plug tomorrow night's show. But um, Seton Hall has now won five in a row. They're six and one in the Big East. They have wins over UConn, Providence at the Dunk, Marquette, and now St. John's. This is the best St. Jo- this is the best that Seton Hall fans have felt about their program since fill in the blank? Probably 2019-20 when the Pirates were on, tr- on track to be a tour or three seed before COVID shut everything down. And they also beat Butler at Hinkle Fieldhouse on Saturday, a big road win, which now the Pirates have two of, Providence and Butler in conference. This looks like if it can hold up, a very promising year. And right now I think Shaheen Holloway is the coach of the year in the Big East, no question. Might even get some national love too. Yeah. Um, Seton Hall was 5-4 and four after they lost to Rutgers, and they were in a battle with Monmouth on December 12th on that Tuesday. Were you at that one? I was. I, w- I was here for that one last month. So what has changed for Seton Hall over the last month? Because it's only been 36 days since that game against Monmouth where – They were in a battle for the entirety, and they didn't figure out. And and they won that game to get to six and four. They were 88th in Ken Palm after that. They've risen 34 spots, and they've lost just one game since. Well, the three senior captains have all stepped up. Kadari Richmond has affected the game offensively and defensively. He's put his imprint on every game, and everybody's following his lead. Alamir Dawes has stepped up as a consistent knockdown three-point shooter. He had some struggles early in the year shooting the basketball. And Dre Davis has scored 10 or more points in eight consecutive games now after tonight. He's been that consistent supporting option that Shah has looked for. 
Jaden Bediaco has been a consistent rebounder. And now he has a, he said he had a veteran group that's learning how to play with one another. I think you're seeing that synergy have a major effect on how the Pirates have regrouped since that December 12th game. Jonathan, I'm going to bring you in here. Were you able to catch any of this game? Yeah, I saw a little bit of it. What were your main takeaways from Seton Hall? Oh, from Seton Hall specifically, I mean, you know, Sam and I, you and I have had some thoughts about this team over the last couple weeks, and I know Rick didn't coach tonight, but man, this team is tough. Like, for a couple, just a couple years ago, this team under Kevin Willard got punked by TCU in the NCAA tournament, and it just feels like in just two, like one and a half years, Shaheen has completely flipped the identity of the program. They're a tough out every single night. They defend their ass off. And I know Kadari didn't shoot the ball the best tonight, but he's been great all season. And he even found ways tonight to impact the game in other ways. Yeah, uh, Kadari Richmond has really stepped up over the last month, as Jaden alluded to. This is a guy that Jonathan has always thought higher of than I have. But, <laughs> yeah, I think this is that Kadari Richmond breakthrough that we've kind of been waiting for for a while. He's been really good recently, um, 24 points against Butler and nine, uh, 12 rebounds and five assists. He had eight rebounds, eight assists, 20 points against Georgetown. Um, he's had big games against Providence. He had the big game against UConn. And he's starting to string it together more consistently now. Jaden, did did Shaw say anything about how Kadari's played? Not as much tonight as he has in, in recent games. He, he highlighted more that other guys had stepped up tonight, like Dylan Adewusu, like Elijah Hutchins Everett. And I think that's big for Seton Hall moving forward because Janari had battled a foot injury. He took a hard fall in the second half here tonight. Shaw doesn't know if he'll be available for Saturday. It's great, and I think he will. He just hasn't spoken to Tony Tess, the trainer, yet. I think he'll be all right. He'll be good to go. But having second, third, fourth options come through in the event that Richmond's durability does come into question, that's as good as it gets. Yeah, and now shifting gears to talk from the St. John's perspective, there was no Jordan Dingle tonight, and R.J. Lewis only played seven minutes. He was in foul trouble for a majority of the night. Yeah, and Brady Dunlap, in the best, in St. John's best games, Brady Dunlap has been playing really well. He played just 10 minutes against Creighton and 16 minutes with four fouls against Seton Hall tonight. Do you think he is the X factor for St. John's that I do? I don't know. It's the jury's still out for him as a freshman. I think you'll see a different X factor on, on any given night. Tonight it was Zuby Ejiofor who had 13 points, and a lot of that had to do with Joel Soriano not being able to match up with Seton Hall's two-headed monster of Hutchins Everett and Betty Otto. He sat the final 14 and a half minutes. I think the score had a lot to do with that as well, and Steve Massiello maybe not wanting to take any chances with Soriano. But you'll see a different option every night. The St. John's team is too deep and too talented not to have one. And Jonathan, what were your biggest takeaways from the Red Storm perspective tonight? You know, I just coach coach wasn't there. Players didn't step up. I just honestly thought it was an off night, and that and that's all. Like you're missing you're missing Dingle. Like 
Soriano was in foul trouble, didn't play, or not in foul trouble, but just didn't play well. You didn't really get what you needed out of Lewis. Didn't get a ton from your bench out, out of Edgefor. I, I just I'm I wrote this one off as an off night. So you are not you don't think that this tarnishes your opinion on St. John's at all? No, no, and it, and as soon as like Patino was announced out, it, it that was kind of my thought process. Yeah, I kind of thought they got punked, but mm-hmm. like just overall physically they, they weren't up to the challenge. Mentally they weren't up to the challenge. Maybe that's a mental shift thing with Steve Massiello instead of Rick. Jaden, what did you see? Well, Dana Jenkins came out and said they got punched straight up, too. I saw a Seton Hall team that I think wanted it more and tried to establish itself and dictate its terms of the game more. And St. John's missing three or four point-blank layups at the rim in the opening minutes kind of set the tone, too. They missed their first 10 shots. Yeah, it, it, it took a while. So what were Steve Massiello's takeaways? He, he said that they just have to be better. They, the effort wasn't the effort on the glass wasn't there. And when Seton Hall made the run, Massiello said St. John's didn't respond the way he thought they were capable of. To attribute that to a letdown on the road. Obviously not having Patino is going to factor in somewhat into this result worth a few more points and then not having Jordan Dingle changes the complexion of the game as well so the good thing about the Big East though it's just such a loaded conference that you'll have multiple opportunities to make up for something like this especially Saturday against Marquette it'll be interesting to see how St. John's comes into that one just off a health standpoint with Dingle missing today's game and Rick testing positive We'll see what happens in the next two days. Yeah, and Jaden, do you have anything else to add before you get on the train to get back to Queens? Well, I will say this. I I think the time to uh, sleep on Seton Hall is coming gone. But Alamir Dawes said his team relishes the underdog mentality and wants to keep embracing it and keep owning it. So... We'll see what happens moving forward. Thank you so much, Jaden, for joining us. You will be back plenty of times throughout the season on Brackets Bubbles and Mid Seasons. Oh, I'm sure. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah. yeah, and Seton Hall is going to be ranked in the next top 25, um, probably regardless of whether they win or lose against Creighton. I was going to say they got a big one Saturday. On Saturday. And they will they will deserve it. This team just I don't know if they're one of the 25 best teams in the country, but there aren't 25 teams playing better than them right now. Yeah, I think I can get behind that. And I also like you know, we talk so much about how good the coaches are in the Big East. And I, I think tonight's a perfect example of that. Like we both really like Shaheen Holloway. Obviously it took him a little while to get it rolling at Seton Hall, but St. John's is missing their coach tonight, and like Seton Hall just comes out and punks him. And no disrespect to Steve Masiello, who was a good coach in the MAC for a bunch of years, but like, Mm -hmm. there's levels to this shit. This is the Big East we're talking about here. (laughs) There's levels to this, and Shaheen Holloway just totally ran circles around Mass tonight. I know. um, Again, that's not 
Mass's fault. He didn't know he was going to be the head coach. Until, he's not a head coach. He didn't know he was going to be the head coach until two hours before the game. But, I mean, Rick Pitino is the heart and soul of St. John's. And not having him is it's, – it's a problem. Yeah, I know we're coming – to the point in the season here where we break out the old Bible and the old, the old rules. And I know one of them that we try to talk about is how you don't want to like lend yourself too much to, to one conference in the tournament, because that's usually never how it works, but man, it's going to be so hard to pick against these big East coaches when the bracket comes out. Yeah. All right. Let's shift gears and talk about the, fourth best team in the state of Indiana. And, <laughs> Let's go. And we will be joined by Griffin Healy to talk about the Hoosiers and their rival who kicked their ass tonight. Well, I guess uh, just to be nice, first off, I want to say thank you all for having me on. I truly appreciate it. Of course, of course. Of course. And were you there? To, were you at the game tonight? I was, yes. Um, I was there Do as a fan. You regret that I mean, decision. Do you regret that decision? No, obviously not. I mean, I'm a senior in college. Like, you only get one Purdue game. The answer that I was, the answer that I was looking for was yes. We got blown no, out, but I have zero worked. regret going. Do I regret like watching the what we saw on court? Yes, but going no. Okay, that's... Hey, it was it was fun for like five minutes to start the second half. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. I think they had a little bit of a spark there, especially keeping it, like, you know, as close to under the spread at nine as they did. They just lost a lot of, you know, their spark, their fuel, whatever. All right, so, Griffin, what was your biggest takeaway from Indiana tonight? I think it's, you know, obviously as clear as it's been throughout a lot of the season, they just don't have the guard play to complete. I mean, sorry to compete, I mean – Gabe Cups is something you can work on as a four-year guy, but I don't think he's obviously like the number one option you should have. Xavier Johnson, obviously, as much as I wanted him to work out for his final year, he hasn't worked out well. And just a lot of the backup guards, they're just not there. Like you have some forward play that can score, that can work with it, but you know, guard play runs March, and this is a team that is genuinely NIT bound, like if lucky. They could be Tony Patelis CVI bound, honestly. Uh, if they make something, that's just a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, Trey Galloway had another solid game tonight. But I think the the if you're looking for a positive development for IU over the last few weeks, Mackenzie Mbako has really stepped up, been a lot better recently. He hit two threes tonight. He's shooting 46% from three in league play, and he's up to 34% on the year. That's pretty good for a guy that started the year as poorly as he did. Um, I think Mbako has kind of figured some things out. Wholeheartedly agree with you there. I think Mbako has really figured it out. He's been doing a great job of just like finally nailing shots down and working with it. And I think obviously tonight is not a good example to use, but he's really using his size. He only made one shot on Smith though, or lawyer and like, that's clearly a bad example to use, but I think like over the past few weeks, he's really figured out how to use his size. Another thing too yeah. is like a consistent argument you can make is Indiana lost a shooter. They don't have a shooter on this team. So there's no one that's really to fear. 
when you're playing and you're like, oh, this guy's going to nail down threes or, oh, this guy's going to hit some mid-rangers. Yeah. I mean, Miller Cop shot 142 threes last year and he shot 44%. We, we kind of dogged on him a lot on this show, but he was yeah. really, really important for what he did. And then let's talk about Purdue, who Jonathan and I agree is the best team in college basketball right now. And Zach Eadie tonight, once again, shows his National Player of the Year stuff. His second consecutive 30-point double-double. Yep. What is it like just watching that man cook in person? I mean, this is the first time I've genuinely seen him cook against that. I mean, okay, that's a lie. But, like, yeah, I mean, he's obviously one of the most dominant figures in the league. Like, there's no hiding it. He's not just tall. Um, but I think it's like when you're finally going against a player that is not named Trace Jackson Davis, who is almost just as good as you, if not as good as you, and you have someone like Khalil Ware, like, you can expose the softness of another team, especially your rival. And I think just seeing him with the experience that came back in their guard, their guards and lawyer, Smith, and even adding Lance Jones, I think it's just like finally getting to see him really cook and lead a dominant win. It's just like, wow. Yeah, Braden Smith has taken such a big step forward this year. Tonight, he had nine assists. On Saturday against Penn State, he had 11 assists. He affects the game in so many different ways. Even when he's not scoring, he's gotten much better on the defensive end as well. I yeah. think that this Purdue team has the guard play to make a deep run because I don't think Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith are liabilities anymore. Jonathan, what do you think? Yeah, I that, that's the point I was going to make. Lance Jones also, we, we've said it, he changes this team. He brings a level of athleticism and speed that they didn't have last year. And so you have a, a team like Purdue that was so criticized for how their guards, granted they were freshmen, how their guards handled pressure last year. Well, Braden Smith goes two for 14 tonight, 0 for 6 from 3. He had nine assists, so he contributed in other ways. But you can survive bad shooting nights now from either Lawyer or Smith, potentially even both, and still manage to get out of a rivalry win on with a win on the road by 21. I, I know I, IU is not a good basketball team, but we've seen crazier things in the sport before. Purdue yeah. getting out of here with a 21-point win even after Indiana made that push to start the second half is super impressive. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I think the experience and just like, you know, they're finally figuring out their roles. Like you said, um, Brighton Smith objectively had a bad night, but if he can find a way to make himself useful, like you said, with the nine assists, he could just become a facilitator and still find ways to win for this team. Yeah, and Brighton Smith is – 15th in the country in assist rate. He leads the Big Ten in assist rate. He was eighth last year. Um, he's not shooting like he did last year. He was 11th in the Big Ten in true shooting percentage last year. This year, his true shooting percentage in conference play is 42%. 42%. But he's still been very effective, and he's still taken a clear step forward because of the way that he controls a basketball game. It is so much better than last year in every single way. I really like what Braden Smith is doing. Obviously, Fletcher Lawyer is that guy. He's shooting 44% from three, 57% in Big Ten play. He hit four tonight. He scored 19 points. He had the big game against Arizona. He's just, he's really good. And 
the fact of the matter is that just adding Lance Jones to this team adds another element. And then you can throw a guy and then you can throw your wings off the bench of Morton and Gillis. And they've, and even they've gotten a little bit better, I think than, than they were last year. And Trey Kaufman ran, it's still a little awkward sometimes, but he can do, um, he can do a lot of things out there. And it's just a total mismatch when you look at what Purdue has versus what IU has Purdue was clearly constructed around Edie to basically make a team that that knows that knows exactly what it's doing. They're well coached, they're disciplined, and then IU is just not really any of that. No. Mike Woodson's not getting fired this year. Not, no, not by not by I, long. Listen, but. I I think the issue that you also ran into, and I've talked about this with other people, is like you ran into poor timing too. I mean, like. Obviously, Hood Shafino was a one-and-done, but, like, a lot of guards probably didn't want to commit here with Johnson and Galloway returning back. I mean, you're going to put your veterans first. Did anyone think X was going to have this bad of a year? No. Maybe he wasn't going to be the best guard. I'm not going to, like, deny that. But I don't think anyone thought he was going to be th- – okay, Sam, I see you raising your hand. But, like, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be, like, at this point, you know? I did not think he would be this bad. I, I no, don't. Think, I, I didn't think he would be this bad. I didn't I think he was that. like the best guard in the Big Ten, like no, some Indiana. There were. I I posted a poll back in like May where I said who's the best guard in the Big Ten, and I put in Bowie, Jameer Young, and the two Michigan State guys, and I wasn't really considering Terrence Shannon a guard, and I got IU fans in the quote tweets like thirty <laughs> of them just saying, "Where's Xavier Johnson?" I'm like, what? Xavier so, Johnson, are you watching? So are you watching the Southern Illinois Xavier Johnson? Because that's the only Xavier Johnson that's even in this conversation. So your issue is, is you did this on Twitter. You should know that there's not rationality on there. But anyway. <laughs> I think in Indiana's case, like you have something to build on with cups. You if Mbako comes back, you have something to build on with him too. You have a stud coming in next year in Liam McNeely. And they might get Derek Queen. They still have a shot at Derek Queen. Yeah, Somehow. Figure figure out with your figure out with your coaches how to surround what you have coming back because they will have some talent coming in back and back next year. Wholeheartedly agree. It's just the issue I think is you need to find a shooter. Purdue has that in Smith, in Lawyer, in like and whatnot, but Smith specifically. Liam McNeely, the best shooter in the country coming in. Mm-hmm. That's true, and hopefully it works out there. But like right now, this year they don't have that. And I know some people may make try to make the argument that Trey Galloway is a shooter, but last year he only shot sixty five shots from the three point line. This year he's already at fifty two, and it's clear Trey that Galloway like, is a career thirty two percent three point shooter. Agreed. Like no, I'm not denying that, but I'm saying That's like something you agree with. It's a fact. No, obviously, I'm not trying to like argue on that or anything. I'm just saying, like, you look at like the 46 percent, and you realize, oh, this is limited shots. Whereas you look at this year, he's more. Trey Galloway is a shooter. He's not a maker. Yeah. 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 Um, this Indiana team. I mean, we. I've been on it since the start of the year. They. They. They haven't had any like really strong, dominant performances, even even in their by games. They, they, they squeaked past every buy game. They squeaked past an army team that I saw in person lose to a one in twelve Lafayette team. Um, they're Indiana. 
is going to win some home games against some mid-tier and even some upper-tier Big Ten teams. They're like they beat Ohio State, who we both think is good. But they'll win is, the games they're supposed to. They're they're not going to. They're, they're not. Their next two games are at Wisconsin and at Illinois. No, they're Indiana is projected to lose those games by thirteen and fourteen. Like I know that this is a bad year for Illinois for Indiana, but like no Indiana team should ever be thir- double digit underdogs at Wisconsin and Illinois. So Ken Palm right now. The rest of the way has Indiana finishing 16 and 15, 8 and 12 in the league. Assuming they don't like make a run in the conference tournament, that's not getting you to the NIT, right? No, probably not. I mean, I would not in how mediocre this Big Ten is. Yeah. No. I think. I mean, the Wisconsin one is honestly understandable because, like, even. With no matter how talented the roster is, they haven't won in the Cole Center since 1998. But like, I do agree with you on that. Is like, that true? Yes, that is 100 percent true. They have There's not. No crazy. way. That's yes, crazy. wild. No, their their best chance was 2022, 2021, where they blew that 20 point lead at half. They oh have not God. won a game since 1998. That is wild. They've beaten them at home, but never away. Okay. Illinois, on the other hand, yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you on that point. Like, I'm not going to argue, like, the general point is correct. Just Wisconsin's a little bit of an anomaly because they can't win on the road there. But just, you, they shouldn't be double-digit underdogs. No, absolutely not. I'm not absolutely. saying they should go in there and win every year, but just don't be double-digit underdogs. No. Oh, my God. I, I was going back to find the game you were talking about, and I remember what game it is now. Oh, boy. By the way, the longest home winning streak in college basketball is over. Boise State loses to UNLV. Griffin, thank you so much for joining Brackets, Bubbles, and Bit Stealers. We will definitely have you on after a future IU game to vent. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate y'all. Of course, of course. And Jonathan, before we get into some talk on Texas A&M and Arkansas, which was a wild basketball game, any thoughts on UNLV going on the road? Justin Webster led the way. Sorry. Um, um, Rob Whaley led the way off the bench with 18 points mm-hmm. for the Rebels. Yeah, um, listen, I thought UNLV had some talent in the offseason. I don't didn't think they were going to be as good as Boise, but I thought maybe like NIT team. They aren't as good as Boise. Like... They're they're just a step below, maybe two steps below the top tier in the There's West. six there's six teams in that conference that have a legit shot at the tournament. UNLV with seven losses right now, they don't have a legit shot at the tournament, but they have some solid wins. They're they're not bad at all. And they are the thorn in the side of these Mountain West teams because they are the one team outside of that top six that's not like an that's not like a 150s range team in that yeah, conference. So that's going to be If you're looking at it from like, oh, like, let's get into the NCAA tournament perspective if you're the top six. Like, let's just say this. If you lose a tiebreaker for the league title in the Mountain West, 
and you're the two seed instead of the one seed, and you have to play UNLV instead of the eight seed, you're not happy. Yeah, that's that's not going to end well. So, well, it, it could end well. It could end well. Let's bring in Ian Curtis. Well. We're going to talk about one of the wildest games maybe ever because it took 11 hours. How yep. many reviews were there, Ian? Uh, seven, possibly eight. It was like that's, seven, was like four minutes left, but that's too oh many. That's 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 way too many. So mm-hmm. the Aggies go into Fayetteville within the first ten minutes. It's twenty-seven nine. Mm-hmm. They come all the way back. It's a ten-point game with three minutes left. They come all the way back and take the lead with under ten seconds left. Sherman Mark, <laughs> sorry, Wade Taylor drains a three. He scored forty-one points. Tremont Mark goes down the other end and wins it for the Razorbacks. He scored 35. Those two were awesome. Mm-hmm. You look at Wade Taylor's three highest career games, all three this year, were this, a close loss to Florida Atlantic, and a four-point loss to Houston, where he did the exact same thing and was shooting shots from the ground, basically, and then ended up, A&M ended up losing close games in all three of those. And Fayetteville, Fayetteville is, A&M has one win in Fayetteville in the past 35 years. That's a little bit more believable than the Indiana not winning at Wisconsin since 1998 one. I was going to say. Bud Walton is not friendly, not friendly at all. But, I mean, and from the A&M fan base, I've already seen, just because it's a very pessimistic fan base, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people complaining. And, yeah, you're one in three in the SEC. You had an in, you did have an inexcusable loss to LSU. You had a win over Kentucky and a loss at Auburn and a one point loss with a 20 point comeback at Arkansas. So I'm not ready to write off this team yet, especially when you've got someone like Wade Taylor, who he's got March written all over him just because he's, he's so good. He's incredible. He's clutch. He's clutch. And he's got a very, very high basketball IQ. He knows how to get fouled. He'll, He's working the refs 24-7, which is annoying if you're playing against him. But it's it's the type of thing, like, this team is not meeting preseason expectations, but you played one of the hardest non-conference schedules in the country, one of, and one of the hardest ones A&M's ever played. And you're looking at, you know, like an eight seed in the tournament maybe, Maybe as high as a six if you get lucky, as low as a nine or a ten. So, and you've 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 got a team just like the last two years A and M has, where you can beat anyone and you can lose to anyone. And with a really deep SEC, that means you're not going to win the conference like you almost did last year. But I think it would take a lot, like in starting with a loss on Saturday, to start sliding towards the bubble. But, I mean, from the the biased perspective, I'm still proud of that. Um, 
with, you know, losing by one, yeah, it was a heartbreaking loss. But this is a team that came back from down 21 against Houston to tie it and lost by four, came back from down 21 to beat Iowa State, and came back from down 20 on the road to go up by one with 10 seconds left against Arkansas. So you're looking at obviously a messy, messy team doesn't shoot well, but the offense is based around missing a first shot and getting a rebound. So it's a little misleading. I mean, still awful shooting, but when you're looking at what the offense is designed to do, it's a little bit of a different perspective compared to it's still bad. Oh, no, the, the offense for Texas A&M, it actually ranks 26th in the country in Ken Palm efficiency, mm-hmm. which is really surprising because you don't watch them play and think, damn, that's a good offense. You, you don't. They're, they're, I believe, like 355th in three-point shooting. 353. Tonight, Texas A&M shot 21% from beyond the arc and 40% from inside the arc, and they still scored a point per possession because – They had 19 offensive rebounds, and they made 23 free throws. Here's the only problem with that. Two key players fouled out in under 20 minutes, and Arkansas got 40 free throws. Now, Tremont Mark took 22 of them. That's a lot of times to foul one guy. And keep keep in mind, all of this is without Henry Coleman, who... Podcast legend Henry Coleman. Yes. When he's got... When you've got, you know, you've got four and you've got Boots. So you've got Radford and Taylor, who are, you know, the top two leading scorers, especially when Radford's healthy. But when you have Coleman on the inside, this is that's another elite scorer for, I mean, relative to this AM team. So when you have doing all of this without him is huge especially from a rebounding perspective. And that's why that's why you had Washington and Levy, um, Levick both fell out. Um, Levick, Levick, I don't always mess that. Anyway, point is, when you have both of them playing more inside because you don't have Coleman, that's part of the reason they both got so many minutes in the first place. Um, Levick especially. Yeah, um... Shifting gears here to talk about an Arkansas team that is now similarly to Texas A&M, one and three in the SEC, ten and seven overall. They are, they do not have a tournament resume the way that A&M possibly does metrically. A&M's thirty fourth in Ken Palm. Arkansas is eighty eighth. This is a bad loss to take for Texas A&M, although it is um, understandable as it is an SEC road game against a good team with talent in a tough environment, it is not look does not look good on the metrics. It is a quadrant two game, I believe. Arkansas is not in the top 75 of the net. Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't even awesome. think they're close. Yeah, so that, that that's not it's not a good loss for AM. But from an Arkansas perspective, this is the type of win you're just getting like that late, late win against a good team on your home floor. You have another solid team coming to your home floor on Saturday. Can Arkansas turn their season around, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, we've seen them do it in the last two seasons, so why not, right? I think the key you have to look at here, though, is 
they have dug themselves such a hole that they metrically that they have it the last two years. The two years ago, I guess I guess they've done this the last three years now. But three years ago, they just started playing better. Two years ago, you know, started started making shots late in the second half of the year. JD Note started playing unbelievable. Last year, there was like legitimate cause for concern because they weren't healthy, and we knew they weren't going to be healthy the entire year, or at least until late in the year. This year, like, it's just getting transfers and new players to mesh, but at the same time, like, you're 88th in Ken Palm. You entered the day 113 in net. Is this just too big of a hole to dig out of? Like, I don't question whether they can play good basketball the rest of the year. They absolutely can because they're well coached and they have talent. But, like, they might just be in too big of a hole and they might just be too far out at this point. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. I think it's just too big of a hole for them to dig out of because you still have Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky twice on your schedule, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. You have to go to A&M. There's still a lot of potential pitfalls on the schedule. You probably have to only lose six or so games. Like in 2021, in 2021, Mizzou came to town and beat them 81-68. That was the start of a stretch in which they lost four out of five. But after that Alabama game on January 16th, I think they won like like 11 of their next 12. That is 12 of their next 13, something like like that. Yeah, 12 of 13. They dominated. And, but like, that SEC wasn't nearly as good as the one we have today. So you're going to have to do that pretty much again, but against much tougher competition. Yeah, it's not going to be easy for Arkansas. But again, as you said, they can play some good basketball. I still believe in the talent on this roster. Like we've seen Layden Blocker have some really good games. He He didn't play tonight. But, like, he scored 14 against Florida. Um, and I think the more he plays, the better he'll get. Um, Brazil is a freak. Um, L- Ellis was really good tonight. Tremont Mark obviously was really good. Caleb Battle did not play tonight. He got hurt against Florida. But, like, there's too much talent on this team to be as bad as they've been. And... They're going to play competitive basketball. They're going to – it could be Tex, It could be this Texas A&M game. They could be the team that kicks Texas A&M out of the tournament if it's a tough decision going forward and A&M kind of keeps sliding. This could be the game that you point to and say, you know what, that's the, that's the one. Although it'll be the LSU game, but whatever. They could be a thorn in a Kentucky side, slide them down a spot or two, um, slide a Mississippi State team down um maybe kick a mississippi an, an Ole miss team out who knows what this arkansas team can do because they're talented enough to beat anyone in this conference and that's the thing when you're in a conference that this that's this deep it'll be hard for them to climb out but you have the opportunity to climb out because you're playing those teams that you mentioned that they can knock down a seed line or two knock them out if they're on the bubble are it's it's in Arkansas's hands. They have opportunities. I just don't know if they can climb. 
Also, right, like yeah. the Al Alice experiment is like as predictably as bad as like one would have imagined. All right. Ian, thank you so much for joining us on Brackets, Bubbles, and Bit Steelers. We'll be sure to have you on after another AM game. All right. Good to have it. Good to have it. See y'all. All right. Let's get into some mid major talk. Were you able to catch any of Samford and Western Carolina? No, I was following it though. I knew it was a big one. 15 and 2. Both teams come into this game in my mid major top 25. And boy, it lived up to the height. A chore, a chore. 33, 35 points, 10 rebounds, two blocks. Vontarius Woolbright, 23 points, 10 rebounds, four assists. Samford is 16 and two. Bucky McMillan has the Bulldogs at the longest winning streak in the country. Jonathan, have you watched them at all this year? I have not, but this is a team I'm going to have to keep an eye on now. I mean, they go get a road win at Western Carolina. It was the biggest matchup of the year in the SoCon. Not to say that they, other teams by can't the way, win that league. Jan- but. February 14th, Wednesday night, is the rematch at the Hannah Center in Birmingham between Western Carolina and Stanford, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Circle that one on your calendar. Yeah, this is – I mean, these are two teams that will battle it out again. They're fun. It's, a, it's a fun league. It always is. Stanford now up to 81 in Ken Palm. But, you know, Vontarius Wolbright right now probably is the player of the year in the league. He and is. He, he I is think the best it, player in that conference, and it's not even close. Th- that's that's a name that if he gets into March somehow, like, people are going to fall in love with him. Oh, yeah. Now, on Sanford, Bucky Ball, people are going to fall in love with that. They played the third fastest tempo in the country just this weekend. They scored 134 points in a regulation win against VMI. They that was a 95 possession game and it wasn't the first time they've played over 95 possessions in a game this year. They they played 96 against Alabama A&M. They play so fast. Their only two losses are Purdue and VCU both on the road. Now, they didn't play a true road game for over a month. Then what they do? They go to Valpo, they win by 20. They go to Texas Southern, they win by 20. They go to the Citadel, they win by 15. They go to Western Carolina. They beat a really good Western Carolina team coached by uh, Justin Gray, who can really coach. Bucky McMillan has these guys playing some really good basketball. Number 55 offense in the country. Number four three-point shooting offense in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you get Accor. You get Staten McRae, um, Rylan Jones, and Jaden Campbell. And th- this, is, this is a really good basketball team. Yeah, and your two losses are on the road to Purdue and – and VCU, like that's nothing to be ashamed about. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, this this team this team rocks. Like, they rock. They've scored, they've scored 115 plus points three times this year. What was who was the not who was the 91 that they played? Lagrange. They won 128 to 82, allowing 82 to Lagrange. <laughs> like don't get don't get me wrong this team plays at times minimal defense but holy cow, <laughs> no they do fun. not play defense they do not play defense but they played defense today when they needed to i would i would love to see this team play alabama in like a 413 game in the ncaa tournament that game that game, <laughs> that game would, would rock that, game, that would be the loyola michigan game that, like 150 to 119 
<laughs> Would anybody miss a shot? Would anybody contest a shot? No. <laughs> I, I watched Alabama play tonight. Samford would not get to contest one singular shot against them. But would Alabama contest a shot against Samford? I don't know, man. Maybe Alabama has an off night and Samford squeaks out a 102 to 100 win. We got to talk, Ty, because I'm impressed. I- I'm a lot more impressed than I was a month ago about Alabama because they are top 20 in the country now in the over the last month in two-point defense and in overall defense. Mm-hmm. Do you buy this improvement for the Tide? Like, kind of? Like, to, to what extent? To what extent do you buy it? I'd say they could get to a Sweet 16. And, okay. and, or, and like, like the, okay, everything that we say about Alabama on a yearly basis still applies here. You don't want to play them on a, on a one day scout. You don't want to play them in the second round because they're really tough to prepare for because they play super fast and shoot a ton of threes. It's just a really tough style to prepare for in that short of time. But Mentally, like, yeah. But like if you, but like the same points that we made in the preseason about their defense, not having the length they need on the inside to make their system work. Like that still applies. So like, and by the way, we talked bracket Bible earlier, Samford unique team. Yeah, that's true. But like the thing with Alabama for me is like, if you get time to prepare for them, like mid-majors probably aren't going to beat them because they're just too, they're too athletic. They they killed every mid-major they played. They're too athletic and too fast for ever for every mid-major. But if you're a team with not a huge talent gap against them and you get time to prepare for them, I wouldn't mind seeing them. Yeah, and th- I mean, there's a reason why some of those games are have gone the way that they've gone this year. All right, let's talk about uh, – let, let's kind of speed run some of these other games before we get out. I'll preview what we've got coming up for the rest of our week here. On Brackets, Bubbles, and Bits Theaters, we're going to come back at you with shows basically every day from now until, I don't know, conference tournament week. The end of time. We, I, I promised this last year. I promised this in February last year. I told Jonathan we're going to do shows every day next year. And we're going to be doing a show. We're going to try and do a show every single day until I go back home for the conference tournaments, if that's okay with you, Jonathan. Yeah, as long as I'm free, I'm good to go. Just we will just like let I will let you know. I will let you know if there's not a show. It's that that that's what it's gonna be. And we're gonna try and get guests just like we had tonight, every single night. We're gonna speed run some other stuff right now. Tennessee killed Florida. I wanted to get Will Warren on here. I He's watched unavailable. it. Of course you watched it. It was a standalone <laughs> game. Yeah. Dalton Connect scored 39 points. How good is he? He is a stud, and, like, so is the rest of that team, man. Like, Ziegler's shooting way better than he has in past years. Jonas Adu is a nightmare around the rim for opponents. This Tennessee team is different. Like, okay, maybe they're not the number one team in the country like I thought they would be, but they're not that far. They're, they're around top five. Yeah, I can, I can tell you they have a higher. I can 
confidently say that they have a higher ceiling than they had in past years. I would agree. Xavier, 85. Butler, 71 at the Cinta Center. Des Claude led the way with 26. What are your thoughts on that one? Unfortunately, despite him having a, a decent game, the Pierre Brooks Revenge Tour had to be put on hold. Butler has now lost five of their last six. You they know, are free-falling, and they are no longer an NCAA tournament team. People were saying they needed to kind of get the gears going to make the NCAA tournament. Well, they're running out of time to do that. Bulldogs are now 11-7 and seven on the season. Schedule gets a little easier. Next two games to Paul and Georgetown. Then you got Villanova, Creighton, if UConn. If they lose either of those games, the season is over. 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 You need to win those two. Those are they, And they need uh, to... They need to win not just those two. They need to win, like, basically everything. I can say with 100% confidence that if I do not see an Ed Cooley gif from Tony Patelis on Tuesday, January 23rd at night, Butler's season is over. (laughs) By the way, shout out Johnny Furphy at 15 points tonight. Yes, shout out to JF. We are 15, now at 30. 15 points against a team that you would use what adjective to describe, Sam? Uninteresting. <laughs> the most uninteresting power conference team. We'll get into that in a moment. Um, I'm not sure if you caught it, but NC State Wake Forest had a wild finish. I didn't really catch it. Yeah, but... I kind of saw it. I saw um, what's his DJ Horn flicking off the refs. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and by Which the way, his great. team won. NC State is now 13 and 4, 5 and 1 in the ACC. They play Virginia Tech on Saturday. Are they a tournament team? Uh, close. Is that that's quad one, by the way, for Wake Forest, right? Barely. Barely. By the way, we just went final 99 to 86. Oh, they didn't score New, 100. New Mexico beats Utah State at the pit. The Lobos are legit. Yes, they are. And that league they need to be at least really on the good. bubble in everyone's bracketology. Yes, they should. Um, Cincinnati and TCU. Game went to overtime. Bearcats pick up their first big win at home as a Big 12 team. They now have two quad one wins in the Big 12. Yeah, analytical metrics really like Cincinnati. Resume metrics before tonight, not as much. But, you know, that's a good win. Start to get it going. Big 12 obviously lends itself to plenty of opportunities. So if Cincinnati is actually for real, they will definitely get some good wins. And for TCU, they had chances to win this game. They led by 11 in the first half. They are now 13-4. and They do not have – they they do have the big win against Houston, but they do not have – a marquee away win yet we'll get in they have their next chance at that on january 27th when they go to waco uh where did day day thomas come from is he was he the guy we were on in the offseason go huh juco okay i i remember you like mentioning his name to me in like july just couldn't remember where from yeah i mentioned his name to you in july because i knew who he was <laughs> yeah him and um, Syracuse, 69, Pittsburgh, 58. I didn't watch this game, but I talked to a lot of people who did. And Syracuse ran offense. 
there were multiple zoom actions. Yeah, I mean, I, I... <laughs> they were in slow motion, but they played hard. They fought. Benny Williams played some minutes at the five. They, they really. It looked like they cared. They were disciplined. Best, best I felt after a Syracuse performance since Oregon. You know, held them to fifty-eight points. Bravo, Syracuse. Bravo. Syracuse's defense this year is thirty-fifth in the country. Yeah, it's good. The offense is just actually horrendous. Richmond over Duquesne, the quote-unquote best Duquesne team since nineteen seventy-seven, is now zero and four in the A ten. That's tough. You know, and I thought this Duquesne team would be pretty good too. And we all did. We all did. They they were good. They, they were in the top hundred. They beat Bradley. They beat UC Irvine. They beat a St. Peter's team that's five and zero in the MAC. Um, let's see what else is there to talk about. Indiana State is just awesome. They're a fucking wagon. <laughs> they are fifteen and three, six and one. They destroyed Belmont on Saturday. They destroyed Missouri State today. Just win the games you're supposed to, and you'll get in. I, I would hope so. I mean, they're fifteen and three. Well. Losses at Alabama, quad one. At Michigan State, quad one. At Drake, quad one. Like, they're going to need to pick up some... Like, like you have to beat Drake the second time. And you you cannot take, like, a horrendous loss. No, you can't, you can't lose to, like, a Valpo or a UIC. But, or like, to be fair, like, there's not that many horrendous losses in the Valley. Like... Yeah. Just don't... Like, don't take a quad four. Yep. Um, Dayton. Are they this is this is easily the best Dayton team since 2020. Do yeah. you think they could go on that type of win streak? Okay. By the way, Dayton's won eleven in a row in twenty twenty. They won twenty in a row. Okay. Here here are my thoughts around Dayton. They're a really good three-point shooting team. They do a pretty good job protecting the basket. At least a good enough job, I'd say. Their defense, like, isn't spectacular. They have an NBA player. Um, Is this just, like, miniature? And I don't mean this in a bad way, but is this just, like, off-brand 2020, Dayton? Like, they do a lot of... And I said that. They do a lot of the same things. Actually, no, I haven't said that. I haven't said that to anyone. I've just thought it. They, they do like, a lot I've of been the afraid same things. To say it. I've been afraid to say it, but, like, this Dayton team is not as good, but they could end up ranked about as highly after a big winning streak because they do a lot of the same things really well. They have great guards. They have an NBA guy, and they're just clearly the best team in the A-10. The, we – and, like – they're not like being, like they're not going to get underseeded. I don't think either. Like, they might, honestly, if anything, they'll get overseeded. If there's, if there is a nightmare scenario out there for a one or two seed, it's it, it, the top of the list might be Dayton taking a quad four loss and ending up with a seven or eight seed. Yeah, fourteen and two. I would be surprised, honestly, at this point. Dayton didn't make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I would be too. 
And that that's saying a lot about a team in a zero bid league. True. Um, Charlotte picked up a big win against Rice. SMU continues to win basketball games. They are a that SMU is okay. Building... I was gonna I was gonna ask you about this earlier. Like about how what? close how close are they? And like what do they need to do to get there? Well, you gotta beat Memphis at home. Um, and you probably have to beat FAU on the road. Which which by the way, like SMU has been since the calendar turned to December, SMU has been like a significantly better basketball team than Memphis has. And FAU. Yeah. They are the 17th best defense in the country. They are the number one three-point defense in college basketball today. They held Temple to 64 points. And that, that's not, it's not a good Temple team. Temple's 8-10. and 10. They're 1-4 in the American. But that's a big win. And, and I think North Texas is also really good in, in the American. I think the American's really a good league this year. SMU, for people that don't know, like, yeah, Zurich Phelps is their best player. They are littered with former high major players. Sam Williamson, Chuck Harris. B.J. Edwards was at Tennessee last year. Right, yeah. And, like, actually played down the stretch. Yeah, and and Keon Ambrose was at um, Alabama. Alabama, yeah. All right, uh, moving forward. Um, K-State picks up an overtime win at Bramlage against Baylor (laughs) without – Without obviously without Jada Ames, Tyler Perry, one for eight from three, but he scored 18 points. Mm-hmm. He was 11 of 12 from the line. Arthur Kaluma had 12 and 10, and the big four-point play. Um, that, that was electric. I was watching that live. Yeah, they're, they're really good. I think Kansas. Sorry, they're they're not really good. They're not they're, really good. But they're, they're, they're good. They're good. They're they're good enough where it's like, eh, it would be a shame if they were left out of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that that that's what I would say. Um, like BYU. Have you have? By the way, have your thoughts changed on Baylor at all since like the beginning of the season? I don't think my thoughts have changed on Baylor since May, since Ray J. Dennis committed. I don't think my thoughts of on Baylor have changed since they lost to North Carolina. Eh, a little bit. But like, I think they have. They just. They don't guard. I, I I really wanted them to be a title contender last year with Keontae George and like, Blackburn Cryer. Like I'm sorry, there's absolutely no way that Baylor should be hold, holding Kansas State to 68 points in an overtime game and losing. Yeah, um, BYU drains 13 threes, 28 points for the oldest man in college basketball, Spencer Johnson, who is. On his third wife. Oh, great! They're back in the top ten in Ken Palm. Yay! He's not. He's not on his third wife, but I'll say that. Um, BYU now ninth in Ken Palm, fourteen and three. <laughs> they won two in a row. Jesus Christ! Um, like, I still don't know if this team's any good. I, I, will, I will say this: I will never know if this BYU team is good. Is Iowa State good? I believe so. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I, I Iowa State doesn't play enough offense to like do significant damage, like in terms of an overall resume or like an NCAA tournament run. But like, I'm trying not to use the They're phrase, a tough out. huh? They're a tough out. 
Yeah, I, I'm trying not to use the phrase like "don't want to play him" because you know that's been in the Twitter discussion. So lately. the least, so the least interesting team in the country um, got blown out at their home arena by Kansas today. Um, not not much to go on here. Boyden's Bo- um, done. Boyden's done, right? Yeah, Boyden's done. Um, big performance, obviously, for Johnny Furphy. If he keeps playing like he did today, then Kansas can move back into my top five. Yeah, I agree. Like, I know um, they won by 34 on the road, but like yeah. two out of El Marco Jackson, two out of Timberlake. And the, the two was a, was a massive dunk, by the way, for Timberlake. Like, are you just – can you get away with your top guy off the bench playing 12 minutes? Like, you're going to run out of gas. Right? Yeah. Um, Georgia Tech went into Little John. Clemson, two and four in the ACC after this one. Wild game that went to double overtime. Is Clemson still a tournament team? I mean, yeah. But, like, projecting, it might be a little closer than we probably thought a month ago. Yeah, um, Colorado State needed overtime to beat Air Force in Fort Collins, which is at home for Colorado State. Ethan Taylor had a big game. Rightus Petrotatus had a big game. Isaiah Stevens had nine assists. Nick Clifford led the way with 17. I don't really think there's much to say there. Um, Georgia was led by Silas DeMary, the freshman, uh, with 15 points in a win over South Carolina. The Gamecocks are 14-3. and three. The Bulldogs are 13-4. and four. Um, They still need a marquee win. They'll have a chance at that at Rupp on Saturday. Welcome back to Planet Earth, South Carolina. Yeah. And it's... as we mentioned, um, and sorry, we didn't mention this one, Penn State stormed the court. They beat a top 10 Ken Palm Wisconsin team. Kanye Clary, 27 points. Ace Baldwin, 20 points. What are your I thoughts on this one? I watched this. Kanye was balling. Uh, I was really disappointed as someone who is holding a Wisconsin 12 to one to win the big 10 ticket regular season. Yeah. They have a chance. I mean, they weren't going to go 20 now, but they do have a chance. Gotta, gotta get this meeting Penn state. Gotta get the split with Purdue. Yeah, I think they can. Yeah. Um. Just overall, though, good performance for Penn State. They are the worst team in that conference, and they just picked off the top team in that conference so far during conference play. That's that's the nature of the Big Ten. That's the nature of the beast. You don't want to go on the road and have a sleepy game. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, the final game of the night, just a little more on Utah State going to New Mexico and faltering the – the Aggies are now sixteen and two. That game was the uh, the um, Lobos were led by a double double from Donovan Dent, fifteen points and fourteen assists for him. The Lobos had twenty one assists and seven turnovers. Nelly Junior Joseph scored twenty six points to lead the way. Was yep. the Ken Bob game Tom MVP? Eleven of twelve from the field. What a game for the Iona transfer. Um, for 
Utah State, they shot four of 17 from three. This is not a good three-point shooting team. It never has been. They turned it over 14 times. And they only forced seven turnovers, as mentioned earlier. And this was without Jamar, and this was without Jamaro Baker, um, who is in year 32 of college basketball. Seriously. Started at Kentucky the same year that um same year that Ashton Hagens and Tyler Hero were there. Um, he did not All right, play let's do, the, let's do the exercise. Rank the Mountain West teams. Oh, no. No, I'm not doing this. Rank the Mountain West. Rank the, the six teams that are like NCAA tournament caliber teams in the Mountain West. Rank their coaches. Okay. Okay. I can do this. Dutcher. Agreed. Medved. Agreed. Rice, Sprinkle, Agreed. Kino, Alford. Did you say Sprinkle 4? Yeah. That's exactly how I would rank them. We agree too much. That's exactly... I literally was talking to a friend earlier, and I'm like, this is how I would rank the Mountain West coaches. Would you have Tim Miles over any of those guys? Probably Alford. Jeff Linder. Dude, 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 Nevada has one loss, and they're coached by Steve Alford, and their leading scorer is Jared Lucas. When they lose in the NCAA tournament, it will be my Super Bowl. Two losses. They lost to Drake, and they lost to Boise State. Oh, they lost the second time. Yeah, they lost to Boise State on Friday. That's annoying that I didn't know that. They play San Diego State tomorrow night, right? All right, so, yeah, let's set up tomorrow night. I was going to ask a friend to do the um, to do that game, but that's an eleven o'clock game. Our show will be starting at eleven o'clock tomorrow night. It will be me, Jonathan, Chris Tadinga will join us to talk Creighton UConn. We are still looking for a bunch of other guests to talk about some of the other big games. Thursday night, we are hoping to get Harrison Simeon on the show to talk about Colorado and Oregon. Illinois, Michigan is that night as well. We may have a guest on for that. Friday night, we're going to start doing some big Friday night shows directly after the MAC and A10 games. Um, that's going to be Jim Root. Friday nights are probably going to be the best night to get the full show guests for us. Fridays and Sundays, because those are the earliest shows that we do. Jim Root will join us on Friday. And then on Saturday, we have a big slate. I'll be at the Dome at noon for up for what's going to be a big um, Syracuse game against Miami. And by, then by the dome, will, by the dome, you mean the Tyler Lydon dome, right? No, I mean the O'Shea Brissett dome. Okay. The Trevor Cooney dome. <laughs> oh, the Syracuse players we can name. Oh yes. The Michael Benajay dome, the Malachi Richardson dome, the Pascal Chukwu dome. <laughs> The Arinze Aniwak. Oh, great. I get to start my Saturday with Rodney Terry. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. We will be watching Marquette and Rick Pitino, who will hopefully be back from COVID. I don't know. Do you get over COVID in three days? No. (laughs) Was it really COVID? What, do you think he's faking COVID? (laughs) Wouldn't put it past him. What what reason would he have to fake COVID? Ducking Shaw? (laughs) 
He ducked the Hudson River. Yeah, because he only wants to jump in the East River where they don't win the national championship. Which I hate to break it to him, but I don't think they are. And he wants to kill himself when they lose. Okay. You saw that quote, right? Was, was he like was he like this at Iona? Not not self-harming. <laughs> like, but he was he, he was a dick. He was like, not <laughs> threatening to self-harm. Like like did he walk into the media room and like give you like a glare and like yes. threaten to like do something to you? Yes. He told me that I didn't know anything about basketball. Well, you don't. So, yeah, I knew that his team was going to lose to UConn. It's true. He didn't. Was that in Albany? Yes, it was. Right? Saturday night is a big night. We'll have a big show. Sunday night, it's not a big night. We'll have a little show. Um, but that's our schedule for the rest <sighs> of the week. Jim Root is coming on Friday. Chris Dinga is coming tomorrow. Um, Jonathan <gasps> CBS game Sunday other, with other guest ideas. What did you say? There's a CBS game Sunday. What's the CBS game? Michigan State at Maryland. What what time is that game? 11, 11 a.m. Central. Okay, fine. Um, we'll, we'll do a show at night. No, 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 no. I'm not like saying like like we can obviously we can do a show then. I just the nostalgia of Sunday Big Ten CBS games for me is like unmatched. Okay, we'll do a, we'll do a show that night during the football games. That good for you? Deal. Deal. All right. Well, we'll we'll talk about a guest for that. Anyway, <laughs> you want to close this out, Jonathan? Sure. Thanks everyone for tuning in tonight. I'm not doing it, Sam. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Thanks everyone for tuning in tonight to the latest episode of Bracket Bubbles at Bid Steeler Season Four, Episode Twenty Six. We keep chugging along in this college basketball season. We will see you all again tomorrow night.